Band on the run, side two, 50th. Three, two, one. Untitled Beatles podcast. TJ. Tony. (laughs) It's the Untitled Beatles podcast. Last podcast of the year 2023. How are you? You know, I'm good. It's been a really good year. I mean, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's been a good year. And I think 2024 is going to be an even better year, my friend. And, you know, much like the Beatles fan club recordings or the early ones, we're not going to, we're not high enough to do the later ones. <laughs> um, what I would say is, you know, how grateful to everybody who listens and everyone who supports us, whether on Facebook or Instagram or, or Patreon. I don't check X slash Twitter because I, I don't have the stomach for that anymore. So if, yeah. if we have fans there i apologize i don't see any of it but thank you it's this started out as a pandemic uh catharsis for two yeah, improv chicago yeah. guys who love the beatles and have always been buddies and it's been so fun doing this ever since so it makes my resignation that much more difficult and um but i am gonna need more money are we cool you do this every year you always feign resignation i see through you pal i know oh, where you're this looking is going. through me where did you go this is how people get promoted my guy <laughs> well you won't see me at the next ubp convention by the way the big convention that makes field this uh, it's outdoors this year it makes field uh, january 14th <laughs> Come as we reenact tearing Miggs Field up in the middle of the night. <laughs> Wikipedia that stuff because Mayor Daly's son, <laughs> shortly after 9-11, decided to take away Chicago's private airport on the lake, which yeah. I think I agree with, but don't agree with how it happened. Yeah, it was very uh, Baltimore Colts. Yes, yeah. it was very yeah. rider truck in the <laughs> snowstorm. Riders in a snowstorm. <laughs> it was quite a sight. Bulldozers, backhoes, and other heavy equipment rolling through the loop just before midnight under police escort. Their destination was Miggs Field, where, under orders from Mayor Daly, they began digging ditches and X's in the cement runway. Riders on the storm. Well, TJ, let me be the, the second to thank all you listening for, you know, liking us, subscribing to us, writing us kind reviews on wherever you listen. Uh, we do have a Patreon. You're welcome to join that. Uh, there's three levels, $1, $3, and $5 a month. The $5 club is called the Star Club, and you get to hear your uh, moniker shout it out every month. And if you're lucky, Jared comes over and hands you a five dollar oh, foot long. Oh, five, five dollar, five dollar foot long. <laughs> By the way, Beatlesque. That's a Beatlesque banger. It's totally. <laughs> That subway jingle is a BLS banger. No question. Put that on the blue album and kick off now and then. (laughs) They should have put the subway jingle on the blue album. I got all your albums, even the one with the subway jingle on it. What's up, man? I can't believe I met you. I swear to God, how come what did the Beatles get back together? You're full of it. What are you getting back together? I love your album. I like your blue album. All right, so uh, let's do our roll call. Our uh, oh, this will be a holiday version of uh, the Patreon roll call. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so thank you to our listeners. 
Long live George Harrison in Australia, Glenn Kay in IOWA, Matt Kuharski, Beetle Dave, a.k.a. DZ Keys, Susan from Baltimore, Bert Chide, Joanne S., David S. from Chicago, Max Como in Montreal, Matt Meyer from Spring Hill, Tennessee, Mick B. from Minnesota, Nowhere, Doug Tabor, Stephen A., Mary Kate, Skyler, Mr. D. Sticker. I'm going to keep trying to go lower each time. Michael S. Cat V. from Minneapolis. Anthony P. in Portland. Terrence D. Yip, 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 who's the next name? Dave B. Steve G. <laughs> Me sloth, baby Ruth. <laughs> Mark Guarino in Chicago. Steve L. from a little town in Indiana. And our newest member, Robbie 2, Electric Boogaloo. Thank you so much for being a part of our Star Club. We couldn't do this without you. We got some wonderful gear because of y'all. So thank you so much. Fab and gear. Fab and gear. Yeah. We think you're fab and really cool. Dig this. All right, man. It is time to continue our deep dish on the 50th anniversary of Band on the Run. We're doing side two. And as promised, we were going to talk about the artwork and packaging. Excuse me while I... Whip this out. <laughs> whipped out my jingles. <laughs> well, I've, my jingles were resting on top of my Band on the Run LP. That's <laughs> <laughs> just the way Paul wanted it to. Yeah. You're going to yeah. turn down the lights and crank up no words, aren't you? <laughs> you look beautiful. I would like to bite that lip. I think I like that, too. I'm not going to touch you. Not until I have your written consent. What? <laughs> All right, man. All right, yeah. So this is a cool, I think this is a cool album. It's it, the, the art direction on it is nice. Yeah, it's a great iconic cover. Oh, you must lose your shit with that amazing font. <laughs> well, in theory, I would, TJ, but uh, there is no font lover's corner for this. This is, yeah, it's a custom... It's a custom font created by hand, and I, you know, I'm not sure who did it. Whoever was involved with the uh, art direction on this is that a Roy Kahara? By the way, it's custom made for two lonely people like me and you. Yeah, man, I don't know who actually made the font. There's nothing on the cover that uh, or back cover that indicates who uh, did the art direction on this. It leads me to believe that this is a maybe a Paul and Linda thing, just as like John did the cover art for Mind Games. You know what I mean? Right. There's no, I'm looking for information on the uh, J card of my Columbia cassette. And there's a barcode on the front and the back says other cassette catalog by this artist, Red Rose Speedway, Wildlife, et cetera, and so forth. No info. The the UPC symbol, by the way, is as big as the album art on the cassette. <laughs> Very funny. The original QR code. Back in my day, this was a QR code. Then they had to add more letters. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> time traveling angry guy yeah so i don't know what the font is but let me i'll describe it as a neon art deco vibe 
How about that? Does that satisfy your font craving? It, it, it does. I'm satiated and <laughs> animated. Um, you know what, uh, Tony? It actually really evokes a strong feeling of the 50s. It makes me huh. think a lot about the great 50s, the famous 50s comp Beatles rock and roll music. <laughs> I want to see some large glasses of Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, yeah. You know, the Beatles, Cadillacs, Marilyn Monroe, Coca-Cola, <laughs> drive-in movies, <laughs> Brill Cream. You can't do American Graffiti without the Beatles. Yeah. Those suspenders you have for your socks, keep your socks up. <laughs> Richie Cunningham, you know, the Beatles. <laughs> Leave it to Beaver. The Beatles. <laughs> you know, that stuff. All right, but I'll tell you what, it's a striking cover. That's a photograph, by the way. I did not know that. That photograph, TJ, was, of course, taken by Clive Aerosmith. Uh, this is because Clive Ario Speedwagon wasn't available. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I thought you would enjoy that one. Uh, I, I don't want to correct you. Can we have the buzzer effect for a minute? Uh. Thank you. It was actually Clive Aerosmith feet Run DMC. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's the reverse. It was Run DMC feet Aerosmith, I believe. It should be. It should Raising be. Raising Hell album, yeah. <laughs> well, the photo, okay, so it was taken October 28th, 1973 at Osterley Park. Uh, that's a mansion, so it's not a park. It's one of those like uh, Downton Abbey kind of joints. And as of 1991, it is open to the public, so you can recreate this iconic photo yourself. And what's cool, I believe on one of those reissues, TJ, there's 15 minutes of footage from the photo session, the 2010 yes. reissue, I think. Yes, in the archive box set. Yes, it's it's really neat. There's also a documentary on Lagos in that 2010 box set I'm oh. happy to share with you. Oh, I'd love, yeah, I see. So I actually haven't seen that. I would like to see that. It's actual yeah. footage from there, yeah. Right on, man. They have they reenact the mugging. <laughs> oh, <laughs> with the guy from Forensic Files narrating it. Thirty-one year old Paul McCartney was the lead singer and songwriter of Queen's, one of the most popular bands to emerge from the England music scene. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Rents were cheap, drugs were plentiful, and crime was rising. Well, so who's on the cover, man? They're all dressed in black trench coats. Who's in this band? How many people are in this band? Some famous people, actually. Exactly, man. Uh, let's go from left to right. Michael Parkinson, man, TV broadcaster. He hosted a chat show. There are some great interviews with uh, several of the solo Beatles throughout the 70s and 80s. Paul, good morning. Good morning, Michael. He was friends with all the Beatles, and it gives him a great kind of perspective and history as being part of the Beatles story in the UK. This has taken a while. <laughs> many, <laughs> many years, really. <laughs> I promised you years and years ago, and I've finally come good. That's right. In fact, it was, I think it was Band on the Run when we did that. I did it. I was one of those folk on the on the sleeve, and the deal was that you would do an interview with me sometime in the future. You got Kenny Lynch. Now, we've talked about Kenny before, because he was... Uh, an actor-singer who toured with the Beatles in the early years and recorded Misery in 63. I remember all the little things we've done you remember and you'll be the lonely one, lonely one Please come back to me Which I think he was the first person to ever, other than a Beatle, record a Beatles song, I think. 
Then there's James Coburn. Action Western actor James Coburn. You've seen him, TJ, in The Magnificent Seven. The Bond parodies Our Man Flint and In Like Flint. And Duck, you sucker. Rod Steiger and James Coburn together to blow you apart. (laughs) Did you know, TJ, he was a pallbearer at Bruce Lee's funeral? (laughs) Of course you knew that. (laughs) He was... He was a John Bear at Bruce Springsteen's Bar Mitzvah. <laughs> That's how it all came together. Um, I did not know that, Tony. I did not know that. Yeah, there's all these people on the album cover. Okay, and then we get Clement Freud, grandson of Sigmund Freud. Uh, in the day, he was a broadcaster and politician, and after his death, we learned about some problematic aspects in his life. Let's just say he was Mr. Carlson at the bike shop on different strokes. Oh, God. Hey, Mr. Bicycle Man! Hey, Mr. Bicycle Man! Yeah, he was icky different strokes. Yeah. And then we have knighted actor Christopher Lee. TJ, you've seen him in Tale of Two Cities, Dracula. Actually, The Wicker Man. Have you ever seen The Wicker Man? Is that like The Empire Man? (laughs) There's no phone number attached to this one. No, it's like a cult horror fantasy kind of a movie. It's it's real nutty and pagan and wild. You simply never understand the true nature of sacrifice. Never seen it. I do like my Merlot, nutty, pagan, and wild. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, last but not least, uh, John Conti. He was a pro boxer from Liverpool. TJ, he went 34-4-1. The one was a draw? Must have been. Yeah, and a draw. Yeah. But he was this Liverpool cat, and I guess he was very handsome. People considered him handsome. You you can take a look. He's on the cover there. Yeah. Uh, Tony, are you aware who Bill Conti is? Yeah, Rocky. He did the Rocky music. Well, I'm not familiar with that, but I know he wrote the Dynasty theme. Oh. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right, let's get into the back cover. Yes. (laughs) Fuck us, man. Fuck us. Yeah, so it's kind of like an art-designed layout of their whole trip to Lagos, right? You've got the, the paperwork... The itinerary, you've got their passport headshots. <laughs> yeah, these were up forever and Beth's wall at Second City. <laughs> yeah. Beth, if you're listening, we love you. Thank you. Yeah. I think Brian McConkie shot these uh, headshots because <laughs> they're in black and white. This is before color headshots, everybody. But yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Paper clips, tea, burnt cigar. I always imagined that was a spliff. I'm not kidding. I always thought that was a joint. In my mind. Oh, you're probably right, man. I don't know. It just seems like that's also the notion of Band on the Run, if that indeed, you know, is Paul kind of protesting being a wee desperado. Not a wee desperado, like a child desperado, but a weed desperado. <laughs> I've, I always felt maybe that was like a joint next to like a cup of tea. It also came with these great uh, inserts. The inner sleeve is cool. It's got the lyrics, except for Helen Wheels. There's that big photo of uh, wings hanging out with the with the kids there in Lagos. Uh, yeah, you know where I for some reason I've misplaced my inner sleeve uh, slash B side to Lady Madonna, 
But the Band on the Run CD that came out, I think, in either 84 or 85 on Columbia, think how chintzy the Beatles CDs were in 87. The original Columbia Band on the Run CD has the fold-out. Right. And also has all the lyrics on the inside. Like the the weird, quickly deleted Columbia, because, and for those who don't know, Paul signed a contract with Columbia in the late 70s in North America, which is you know, the U.S. and Canada, while staying with EMI and the rest of the world. Um, and then they he reverted back to Capitol in 85. So when the CD came out in 84, it was on Columbia. And it's neat. It's a very generous kind of fold-out booklet, which the Beatles CDs never offered us several years later. Just worthy of noting that. Yeah. Also of note is that it's the last Apple release from Paul, but on the labels on the vinyl, there's no Apple logo. It's just the headshots, and they're in different orders on each side. Well, and Tony, that continues a trend for the last couple Paul albums, his protest against Apple while everyone was suing each other. Uh, Wildlife, Rebro Speedway, and Band on the Run, none of them had Apple labels. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what was that, that was about. Kind of meant to be, I think, his way to disassociate as much as he could with seeing that label. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And then what I think is great, you get a huge like poster-sized insert. Yeah. It's 45 Polaroids, labeled Polaroid snapshots, uh, mostly taken by Linda, but obviously Linda's in a few of these too, so they were taken by whoever had the camera. It's a Polaroid, and there's nothing, yeah, these aren't like, you know, Polaroids used to be the way to send... Uh, <laughs> Nudes <laughs> before the cell phone craze. <laughs> really? No, it's it's cool. Like, I mean, it gives you the vibe of what was going on in Lagos. It looks like they're having a lot of fun. It looks like they're smoking a lot of dope. Yeah, it's mostly studio stuff. It's interesting to note, though, I'm noticing a lot of Paul playing right-handed instruments upside down. Which is kind of cool. It also speaks to like, oh, they don't have a lot of gear there. <laughs> they have to repurpose their gear. That means he's got to like restring it and all that, you know? He's so talented and just melody flows out of him where that's complicated for most other people. Paul can just do it while composing legendary song after legendary song. It's, it's just incredible. It's cool, man. There's also pictures of some locals, the engineers. There's a photo of a toilet, a.k.a. the EMI Lagos echo chamber. <laughs> <laughs> After Paul recorded, oh, darling, no one talks about it. He flew there. <laughs> so, yeah, if you get one of these, they're great. I would, I would actually hang this up on my wall if I had some more space and maybe I'll make some because I think this is pretty cool. I like this. It is great. It's got it's different than the white album poster, but it's got a kind of oh, similar yeah. spirit. It does have a similar spirit. Yeah. 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 It's a more composed collage because they're all Polaroids and all kind of, you know, 90 degree angles. Right. Shall we go track by track on side two? Yes, Tony. It starts off with Mamunia. Or Mamonia. Yeah, well, how do you say it? I mean, it's spelled I call Mamunia, right? Mamonia is what they're singing. Yeah, but it's spelled Mamunia. Mamunia. But it said Mamonia. Mamunia. Well, what do you, when does a U sound like an O? Oh. <laughs> you say Mamonia. <laughs> I say Mamunia. Munia. Monia. Uh. <laughs> 
however one says it, it's a great song and a great, it's got a here comes the sun element to a side two opener. A, excuse me, Abbey Road cassette people. I know that opened side <laughs> right. one. Yes, thank I you. apologize. Thank you. That's how I heard it. <laughs> I know it. That's why you're not a huge fan of that album. <laughs> Overproduced. There's something about Ammonia that's very uplifting. I think it's a great side opener. It's another great reason to have this on vinyl. It might have been a bright blue day, but rain clouds had to come this way. They're watering everything they can't see. It is, man. It's classic. It's I would still put this under the, the umbrella of soft rock Paul. This is this could have been on Red Rose Speedway. Yes. I yes, still think in a great way. Yeah. I still think it's hilarious that people dog on Red Rose Speedway as it's light, it's blah, fluffy, it's not real rock or whatever. Whatever people were had up their ass about Paul McCartney in, what, 72? 73, he's coming out with some stuff. It's, it's good. It's better. It's maybe more polished, but it's not too far removed from that record. Yet somehow now he's the hero. I find that fascinating. Tony... I love Red Rose Speedway as well, and it's so good and so charming of its own accord, but I think universally, Mimonia is one of these tracks, the songs are just better written on this. I feel like his confidence began to soar with Live and Let Die once again. Certainly, My Love was a massive hit, but going on mm-hmm. tour, Live and Let Die becoming such a huge yeah. hit, I feel like his overall songwriting on Band on the Run is a notch up from the songwriting on Red Rose Speedway. That's the difference, I think. Mamunia. And it was, so this is, <laughs> if you save Beatles VI, I could say Mamunia. All right, that's your Beatles VI. Mamunia. Mamunia, Mamunia is, yeah, you can say what you want. But you know what my favorite song actually is? What? Masimunia. Check it out. So this song, it was written actually in Marrakesh, where Linda and Paul were staying at the Hotel Mamonia. So it's M-A-M-O-U-N-I-A. So we have checked into La Mamonia, and it's such a beautiful hotel. I'm honestly, like, over the moon. But they have not given us a room yet, but we've gone and changed, and now we're going to have lunch. TJ, named by Condé Nast Traveler, as the best hotel in the world for the waffle machine alone. It's a great waffle machine. You get all (laughs) kinds of flavors. Yeah. Every syrup you could imagine. (laughs) They have pastrami beer syrup, even, (laughs) TJ. It's best. Goes over. Usually a pastrami sandwich is a hit in the Arabic countries. And speaking of Arabic, Tony... Mamonia means safe haven is the translation in Arabic. It loosely translates to safe haven. Oh, 
So the eight arms to hold you guys say that this song is, quote, so lightweight, it'll float off. All right. All right. I've always liked the cut measure thing, though, going back into the chorus. I think that's a really groovy thing. I like this song. I like it. I love it. I compared it to Here Comes the Sun, and some of that is that kind of moogie keyboard effect is wonderful in this, too. Yeah, yeah. Playing playing its own counter melody. I'm sorry. I love the Eight Arms to Hold You book. I love those guys, but I think the song is wonderful. This song, again, if you want to compare this to Single Pigeon, fine, but I think it's a notch and a half up from a songwriting standpoint. And it's arranged so nicely. It's in two different keys. It's Yeah, this is a great one to me. I, I concur, man. I concur. First song to be recorded for the album, so it's got that going for it, too. There was some talk. Yes, that's right, Tony. And there was some talk that this might have been planned as a single, and that's why this was taken off the B-side to Jet. Yes. I I read that same thing. I think that was in the Spicer book, right? One of the Apple Spicer things. Yeah, the Indispensable without, without the Spicer book. Another note I have, I just want to say quickly, the Linda Harmonies here... Linda's voice is so good, and there was a time when Paul might have double-tracked his own harmonies. Right. But but to hear Paul and Linda do it is magic. Uh, next up is, uh, this is the first song co-written by Danny Lane on a Wings album. That's right. No words. I like this. This is a song, like, I know, yeah, we were comparing this record to Who's Next, I believe, on the Side One app. And, like, this is the song that doesn't get played as much on the radio. And for so for me, it's just a more refreshing song. This one I haven't heard too much. I dig this song. It, it might be my quiet favorite on this record, man. Yeah, I think it's this album's Well, Well, Well. <laughs> <laughs> Which you don't care for, and I do, right? Don't you not care for Well, Well, Well? I don't want to say John I don't Lennon? care for it. I want to say it's the weakest track on his best album. Aye. <laughs> What's a weaker track on Plastic Ono Band? Uh, My Mummy's Dead, maybe? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, um, but that's... Do you count that? That's more like an inner groove, Sergeant Pepper, do you? No, My Mummy's Dead is the now and then of Plastic Ono Band. <laughs> <laughs> really, let's be honest, it's the Her Majesty. That <laughs> My Mummy's Dead is Her Majesty. It's, it's sad, Her Majesty. I, I tell you what, man, I like Well, Well, Well more than I found out, but that's me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess it's got to be hard not being Beatle right. <laughs> Um, yeah, man. I mean, this, this is fine. And it actually, Denny Lane wrote the first part. Paul wrote that burn and love part where he does that kind of rock ballad scream thing, which is worth it enough. I just feel like what the eight arms to hold you guys said about Mamoni, I feel about no words. This song's lightweight. The guitar gets heavy. Sure. Yeah. I like the guitar a lot. This to me, I, I do not dislike the song. This is my weak link on arguably Paul's best album. Parentheses, Choba, B-C-C-C-P. <laughs> can I say I'm, I'm a Lottie Miss Claudie guy? 
Well, I like it. I think it's structurally a little dizzying. Not as dizzying as Picasso's last words, but I like the emotional tugs of the guitar lines. To me, I'm feeling I'm feeling something with this song a little bit more than I. I feel something more in this song than I do in Band on the Run. I don't get an emotional thing out of Band on the Run. I do out of this. And why? Why does it fade out so early? That is a rude fade out. Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to have another round of solos. Sorry, Denny. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to make more room for the fucking Picasso's last words, whatever that is. <laughs> whoa, whoa, uh-oh. We're going to disagree on Paul's solo day in the life coming up next. Oh, boy. <laughs> wait a minute. No, wait. Are we talking about the U.S. album? What are we doing? Because next on the U.S. album is a rock out. Are we doing the U.K.? No, I'm just saying, like, why did no words fade out early? It, I, I, we could have used a little more, a less rude fade out. That's all I'm saying. And I think Picasso's last words is a little indulgent and didn't need all that much space on the record. I would, I would like some more no words and less Picasso's last words. Wow, your Band on the Run revamp sucks. Oh, yeah. No, it's fucking what it should be, man. It's what it should be. <laughs> we have, dude, we have a Pipes of Peace in the can where Tony thinks that the dance remix of So Bad should have been included. <laughs> you know what? He should have made... <laughs> <laughs> he should have made Tug of War a double album. Uh, right. He should have. <laughs> and then not made that movie. And <laughs> Dude, if, I'm just going to say, if we're going to talk about that era, No More Lonely Nights, one of the greatest Paul McCartney songs ever, and that came out of a byproduct. It's, it's a Pink Floyd tune. It's got David Gilmore. Agree to disagree. All right. All right. I cannot wait. The last episode of the show will be when we do Flowers in the Dirt. I know it. I'm going to be in it's tears. not Bad Boy anymore. No, yeah. not, fuck Bad Boy. I'll be in tears talking about Put It There while Tony's just giggling. Yeah, I'll bring my Casio SK-1 and like make fun of every drum sound. Like, oh, you mean this sound, TJ? <laughs> Tony, some Beatle fans have Tomorrow Never Knows. Others have Uwe Le Soleil. <laughs> Back to Band on the Run, the version we're going to do right now is not just the U.S. version, but the one that Paul commemorated for the 25th anniversary and the upcoming 50th, Helen Wheels, a single that Capitol urged Paul to add to the album, Yeah, basically saying, think of, you know, in the States, all your albums had the singles, unlike in England, and they sold millions upon millions of copies, throw this one on there, Paul did, and it didn't just elevate the album. I actually think it takes the album, the U.S. version, to a whole other sphere. It's a great rock. It's mindless. It's got kind of a Steve Miller, like it's pointless and a great rock out at the same time. I love this.
I agree. It belongs on this record. It's a great rocker. It's Paul basically trying to write a British road song. It's him trying to write Route 66, Take It Easy. Uh, he references Sweet Home Alabama in the lyrics book about wanting to write, yeah, this kind of a Route 66 song. But yeah. for Britain, yeah, how many British road songs are there? Not many. I can't think of one. There's that Tenacious D song, The Road. The road is fucking hard. The road is fucking tough. There's no question that time. It is rough and stuff. Uh, that's all in Britain? <laughs> no, no, it just made me laugh. Okay. <laughs> when I'm lunching on a tasty boosh, right after the show. Places mentioned include Glasgow, Carlisle, the Kendall Freeway, the M6 down to Liverpool, Birmingham, and then finally London. Helen Wheels is the name for Paul's Land Rover, which in the lyrics book he claims to still own and that she's still running. I love it. I'm yeah, guessing man. he could afford the upkeep. <laughs> <It's not laughs> like, Paul, you know, I want to take it into car wrecks, but I don't have a coupon. <laughs> rattle, rattle, thunder, clatter, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. I won't go to Meineke. <laughs> not after the last time. <laughs> like terrible, Paul. Terrible, Paul. Just random Liverpool. <laughs> Meineke. You know, Meineke, it's where you get your muffler. <laughs> I also wrote this song in a Meineke <laughs> at first. Then it became major key. <laughs> Won't take Alan Wales to the <laughs> to the major key. <laughs> you know, so I, dumb. You know, I took Eleanor Rigby to minor key, but it took maybe a maze to major key. <laughs> hey man, so okay, all right. So here's the thing that happens, right? Sailor Sam from Band on the Run makes a cameo in Helen Wheels. That's right. In Band on the Run, he'd been searching for everyone. And in Helen Wheels, he will never be found. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. Do you think that this song inspired Holiday Road, Lindsey Buckingham? Uh, well, in the 2010 archive reissue, Helen Wheels is a bonus track, but has dogs barking in the fade out, just <laughs> like Holiday Road. <laughs> And lastly, what's all that counting? Uh, first of all, I love all the bye-byes at the end. That's boy, one of my favorite parts. Bye-bye, boy. <laughs> yeah. It's so silly. Say bye-bye. It's, it's silly and it's fun. It's cool. It's fun. I love that. There's an Admiral Halsey quality going on with that. But what's going on with all that counting on the fade-out? Like, he's not counting into anything. I think he's doing aerobics or something. Yeah, I think Paul was really high when this was going on. Other <laughs> high, than high, 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 right? <laughs> which, which, how come what's happening stole their catchphrase from a Paul hit? <laughs> so, Tony, this came out about a month in the States before the release of Band on the Run. This, unlike anywhere else in the world, was a, a lead single for Band on the Run. Yeah, after Live and Let Die, right? It was this. That's right. Yeah. This was his follow-up single, yeah. So he's cooking. He's cooking with singles, and now like people can't wait for the record, the album. Well, so and just for some context, I know we're going to jump into the rest of the side too, but Helen Wheels came out in November of 73. Jet came out in early 74, was a huge hit, didn't make number one. Jet made number seven. 
And then Band of the Rum was released that spring and, of course, made number one. And this album, the next track, he followed it up later in the year with Junior's Farm, which is another single-only track. That was not added to Venus and Mars. But, like, it's just a moment to think how prolific Paul McCartney was at this point because it's not just material, it's A-plus material again and again and again and again. It, it It's not a surprise Wings were as big as they were, as cliched as it is to say, hey, it was Paul McCartney in a, in a group before Wings. Remember that old joke um, <laughs> that went on forever? But yeah, Wings were massive, and Paul was almost as big as a soloist as he was as a Beatle. And by soloist, I, of course, mean with Wings, but... Right, right, away, which is funny. A, a, yeah. Away from the Beatles, because let's be honest, God bless you, Denny, God bless you, Linda, but Wings was a McCartney outfit from wildlife through back to the egg. It's McCartney and Sidemen. I mean, yeah, that's what John said. It doesn't matter who's playing. You can call them wings, but it's Paul McCartney music and it's good stuff. Yeah. All right, let's du- let's duke it out, man. Picasso's last words, parentheses, drink to me. This is to me a curio of a song, and I've called it genre roulette. Mm. <laughs> this gets into his like uh, infatuation with medleys. Well, and also his infatuation with celebrity stories because ah. the, dozen, the Dustin Hoffman impetus to yeah. this one has been told many, and it's worthy of it, but it's been told many a time. Yeah. Briefly, Paul was hanging out with Dustin Hoffman in Montego Bay. Bay. Uh, Dustin asked Paul if he could write a song about anything. Paul said, maybe. Dustin then produced a Time Magazine article about the death of Pablo Picasso. And in doing so, TJ, Dustin Hoffman inadvertently invents the musical improv game known as Sing It. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, he did. You got that, Larence Fingerhut? If you're listening, Larence, thank you. Yeah. So yeah. So sing it is a thing that happens. But basically, he did. He's he's you know sing a song about anything. So Paul hits a chord on a guitar yep. and just kind of cranked it out on the spot. And then at the end of the night, Paul and Dustin each gave Linda five dollars for her coaching <laughs> fee. <laughs> which was promptly spent on old styles at the bar <laughs> at I.O. Yeah. But did, did you ever see Baby Wants McCartney? <laughs> Obviously, improv is extremely important to you guys. Okay, so this was the one that was recorded at Ginger Baker Studio, Arc Studios in Lagos. Uh, well, the Lagos suburb of Akija, I'm going to say Akija. It's like their Deerfield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a great pastry shop over right? there. Yeah, so Ginger thought Paul should record the whole record there, and Paul reluctantly agreed to do one day, you know, I think as kind of a favor and kind of get off my back, I'll do one day for you, but I want to yeah. I want to do things my way, Ginger, not your, I don't want to step into your right. Tasmanian devil tornado. So that's a great Gilligan's Island episode. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to have to sing into a coconut shell. Got it, Ginger. So, yeah, they record one day there, and... You've got Ginger Baker there ready to play with you. And so Ginger plays a tin can filled with gravel. 
That is his uh, contribution to this, which to me sounded like a comment. Was that like a passive aggressive Ginger Baker thing? Like, yeah, I'll play on your record. <laughs> Give me that box of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> box of rocks. KTEL presents. Drink to me. Drink to my health. You know I can't drink anymore. Drink to me. Drink to my health. You know I can't drink anymore. I love this song because it feels a bit like a more purposeful you know my name. Ah, interesting. Okay. I haven't seen it that way. A little like you know my name and a little bit like all you need is love, where they're calling back different parts of different things. I don't know. I feel like it's really beautifully arranged. Hmm. And then it it also gets really strange, too, because like right before the key change at the very end... We get a like a, a bar of the minor guitar riff from earlier in the song that becomes kind of a sing-along party. Yeah, it's even in the liner notes. There's like drunken chorus is listed yes. in there. And like, there's things going on in French. There's yeah. weird dialogue here. It's got French interlude. It's got a very Paul McCartney kind of clarinet solo feel to it in there. Sure, when I'm 64, right? Yes, and uh, you know, kind of presaging like lonely old people and some of the other. You gave me the answer. Things Paul would do in the next year or two. Yeah, I, I feel like the grandiosity of this. It's in a perfect spot leading up to the closer, which is about to become even bigger. There's something about this song that I give Paul extra credit for his sense of adventure plus melody. I think this is banned on the run's Carnival of Light. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you that in that I think when we finally hear Carnival of Light, it's just going to be terrible. You know, it's going to be bad. (laughs) You think this is terrible? No. Where do you put this? This is my least favorite on the record for sure. For sure. Yeah, you know what? Here, here, let me do the merits. I actually like the Picasso's Last Word tune, especially the, the when they revisit it the second time. I don't need the weird Phil Collins uh, drum thing going on. <laughs> I don't need those interludes. I didn't like the jet callback. I didn't need the pub sing-along thing. I wrote when I'm 84 on there, (laughs) like with the clarinet or whatever. I didn't like that stuff. To me, it's like, wait, that song was just fine. Why are you mucking it up with all this, like these, these um, detours? You know, I I feel like this song gets a little lost. And once I'm into it, then he goes off somewhere else. Like with the, what's the other callback? Mrs. Vanderbilt, the Mrs. Vanderbilt on Barbiturates callback. Like, yeah, it's like a lower key. (laughs) I was like, I was enjoying that part just fine and could have used it a little more, but nope, we have to interrupt it with this callback. 
I feel it's a forced medley tie-in thing. He's trying to like force the Abbey Road medley on us once again. It's like, let you did the Abbey Road medley perfectly the first time. Stop trying to do it again and again. <laughs> That's See, my thought. Okay, interesting. My take's the complete opposite. I feel like he's doing the opposite of Abbey Road in a way I would think you'd enjoy because it's so fucking weird. None of it makes any sense. Abbey Road is lush and intentional. The harmonies and the bass at the end and the Mrs. Vanderbilt callback are discordant and they they retard a bit. They slow down and yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I like it because it's it's unique. It doesn't. It's not trying to be too clean and spiffy. It takes lots of turns. That's where the you know my name comp comes from. Is like, whoa, where the hell is this coming from? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think yeah. Just I think where we disagree is I like I think you know my name works, and I think this doesn't. That's all. That's all. I do want to give a shout out to Tony Visconti. He was going for a Motown sound on those strings. Paul wanted him to do like a, a mid sixties <laughs> Motown string feel. So that's kind of what that is. That's so funny. Cause I wrote down disco strings. So, yeah. cause they sound like obviously disco hasn't happened yet, but it's about to, and these feel like the precursor to those. So, Tony, if I may, the next song is the beginning of disco. <laughs> Paul, inv- and it's the best disco song ever written. How come Shandog don't love in the Navy? <laughs> in the Navy. That's my favorite Village People song, actually. It's so funny. It's the funniest one. That and the song Milkshake. Milkshake. <laughs> Which is a big innuendo number from 1980s Can't Stop the Music. And it's oh, all about. Oh, I've seen that movie. I remember. That's a fucking <laughs> yeah. movie. When they come home, when they come home from school, all right. And they want something that's cold to drink, cold to drink. But yeah, uh, this song, 1985, has got a disco beat to it, and it works. I never thought of that, but you're right. It's four on the floor. Yeah. It's piano rock. It's disco. It's musical theater. It's pop. This song is everything. I've always liked this song. I've dug it. Uh, in the lyrics book, Paul says the idea behind the song is that this is a relationship that was always meant to be. No one in the distant future is ever going to get my attention because I've got you. So this is basically a love song about the future. Yeah. And I've, so it's this love song, but it's set in the future. And it's interesting that the future is this minor key. There's a sinister element to the feel of this song. No one ever left alive in 1985 will ever do. I mean, yeah. it's even even no the lyrics alive. are ominous. Yeah. yeah, it's like nuclear, you know, what we grew up with, you know. It's yeah. Scared about nuclear war and that kind of thing. Oh, 
whole world is just going to burn when it happens. Just push one button. Just build a bomb just to show how powerful you are. The adults who aren't, who aren't taking the responsibility are threatening our lives and they are not protecting it. Yeah, and those synth swells and stuff like that's yeah, yeah. It's a show tune. Yeah, we were. I never thought of it as a show tune, but yeah, well, especially at the end. Yes, it's got that big Vegas ending. We'll get to that when we get to that. I like the B part though too when it stops and there's those yes. haunting harmonies. Minor to major. The whole uh, song's a push-pull between yeah. that that part to which you're referring lets us know it's all going to be okay. And then the drums and the minor piano kick in again. It's a push-pull. It is the best closer in any solo Paul album. Sorry, C-Link. Hunt you down naked. For me to think of Station, which I do like. Pulling out those modern deep cuts. <laughs> Patting myself on the back. Hey, I recently put Let's Get Started from the Egypt Station outtakes on a mix. <laughs> well, I bet, yeah, that's a refreshing thing, I'll bet. Yeah. As orchestrated as this is at the end, most of the song doesn't feel overproduced. It's got the weird kind of synthy effect. It's got the piano, the bass, the drums. As guitar and clarinet are battling it out, as the orchestra, the Tony Visconti orchestration is building. It's got this big, like, star search <laughs> outro. You call it a show tune, but yeah, it reminded me of like a star search, like something on TV. It sounds like TV music. And it's, to me, the perfect end to an album, just like you said, but asterisk. No, uh-oh. <laughs> then they throw in this commercial for Band on the Run at the end. Like, what? When they throw Band on the Run at the end, that ruins it for me. Oh, I love it. Oh, no. it's I love that part. Oh, I don't. I think it's dumb. I think it's like, why are you putting in a commercial for your own record that we've already bought? There should be like the announcer guy at the end of there with a phone number. <laughs> Send 1398 to Beatles, Box 377, Seymour, Connecticut. Specify cartridges, cassettes, or records. Let me ask you this, man. I was trying to track one down. Is there a version of this song that does not end with the Band on the Run thing? Every version he's done live doesn't end with Band on the Run. When yeah, he does okay. his live in concert, which is another one that was ignored in contemporaneous times. This thing just began part of the live repertoire. I think his tours in 09 and 2010 around there when the archive collection was released, somebody reminded him... This is a massive album. It was the album of the year in 73. It was on the charts forever. Do more songs from it. And that's when he added Miss Vanderbilt and 1985. Right. And uh, no, this one we does in concert just ends with it. Bam! And they just, they just ride it out. 
I mean, I'm glad that it's in the same key as Band on the Run 2. It does. It works. It does work. I just I would love to hear a studio version that doesn't go into it just for my fucking brain. <laughs> There's a chance that one hand clapping yes. ends without it. But that's also like a live thing. You know, I want to yes. hear the studio version. I want to hear a studio version that doesn't have it. You know what I mean? Well, and they, they fuse on the, it's not a different take. They fuse on the take that we hear at the beginning. Exactly. I think sure. that's what that's, bugs me. I think that's yeah. what bugs me is it feels fused on. I think that's what it is. Well, I'm trying to think like of the things you like, like, God, I hate strawberry fields. Enough already with it. Let me take you down I'm going to. Honest to God, one of my favorites. And every time that song comes on now, my son will say, that's Tony's favorite, because I always acknowledge oh, wow. it when it comes on. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. That's cool. Oh, and wow. That's I nice, obviously man. love Strawberry Fields. It's just, it's very funny because you're a shade Strawberry Fields and I'm a shade Penny Lane, and that's why it works. That's where we are. We're double A's, man. Right. We're the Energizer <laughs> battery. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> pebbles, pebbles, pebbles. <laughs> yeah, let the sunshine in, motherfucker. <laughs> well, let's do our closing remarks, shall we? Yeah. Yeah, man. Tony, obviously, people since 73 have been saying this is Paul's best album. The occasional qualifier is, well, Paul's best since Tug of War. Tug of War in 82, which is a, a just a wonderful album that I love, and it was the first full album with George Martin since the Beatles, so it was a pretty big deal, and Ringo played on it. It was after John died, et cetera, and so forth. Mm -hmm. I love Tug of War, but I think Band of the Run's in a different category. While this might not be my personal favorite McCartney album, I do think the case can be made. It is his strongest overall album, especially the version with Helen Wheels on it, which is so interesting to see that be acknowledged forever. It's been the British catalog and Beatles lore that's won out, Tony. And for right. some reason, for the anniversary issues for Band on the Run, the Band on the Run and Magical Mystery Tour are the only times where <laughs> America wins. Starbucks, fuck yeah. Disney World, fuck yeah. Bad Bath and Beyond. Yeah, so Tony, while it might not be my personal favorite, I do think it's Paul McCartney's greatest, most consistent solo record. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's not my super favorite either. But yeah, overall, this was like, it was kind of Paul's last shot at post-Beatles commercial success. And it paid off. It paid off. And I also think the public was was ready to, you know, quote-unquote forgive Paul for a quote unquote breaking up the Beatles or being the first one. And for Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> and yeah, that too, sure. Right, right. Maybe Paul finally served them on a plate, you know, what they wanted, which was uh, basically a slicked up version of Red Rose Speedway when people weren't, still weren't ready. They weren't ready. They still wanted to call him lightweight and that was still with the feud and John. And now we're done with our feuds with John and we're ready to be friends again. I think the timing was just perfect. And Paul consummate professional delivered, you know? So yeah, it's, it, it deserves to be where it is ranked in its ranking. I love to hear you say that. And can I add an extra little thing of importance here, Tony, it was recorded under less than ideal. It's crazy. <laughs> literally <Yeah>. foreign <laughs> circumstances, and it resulted in one of his best works. Two-fifths of the band quit. No notice. Yeah. 
No, no notice. I mean, obviously with, with, with McCulley, you knew it was probably coming. Yeah, maybe, but still like it was pretty last minute. You're out a hotshot guitarist and you're out a fucking great drummer. Jazz guy. Yeah. See, see what was a jazz guy as much as he was a rock guy. He's amazing. So then, yeah, it's just those three in this strange place learning how to like do it on the fly. Almost killed. Not, not a <laughs> right. joke. Paul McCartney and Linda, they were almost killed yeah. that evening. Exactly, man. And so, yeah, they were able to just like persevere and get through all these, these hardships, artistic and whatever, life-threatening, and produce this record. And, and it's, it's still with us today. It's being reissued for the f- 500th time. Oh, God. <laughs> Demixed. <laughs> and, it, I, and, and all said, I think it deserves it. It does deserve it, you know? So, yeah. It, it almost makes me wish Paul had been mugged before driving rain. <laughs> Give me your money. What? You're mugging us? I don't believe it. Riding to Jaipur, riding through the well, TJ, Happy New Year to you. <laughs> I will see you in 2024. <laughs> it is 2024, no, Tony. No, not yet. No? Not yet. No. Oh, no, it's not. In a few hours. In <laughs> yeah, 2020. Yeah. yeah, let's ring in the new year. Here we go. Happy New Year from the Untitled Beatles podcast on behalf of our producer, Casey Baker. I'm Tony Mendoza. And hey, Tony, what's your favorite vegetable emoji? The penis. (laughs) Well, I was going to say eggplant, but ding dong, ding dong. Ding dong, ding dong. Ring out the old ring in the Happy New Year, everybody. On behalf of the Untitled Beatles podcast, we'll see you in 2024 with Bad Boy. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. Dustin then produced a Time Magazine article about the death of Pablo Picasso. About the death of Pablo Picasso. About the death of Pablo Picasso. If you say it three times, it happens. (laughs) Your contribution to the edit. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Well, it's way less.